I had to get a bigger screen because I'm, my eyes aren't as good. Aren't they amazing? Aren't the youth group? This worship team is amazing. I just love hanging out with them. They're so full energy, and I really, really enjoy it. So you're probably wondering what I'm going to talk about tonight, today, this morning, today, Sunday. <laughs> it's Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> well, I thought I would start off with, you know how Pastor Nick and Pastor Lisa start off with a joke? No. So, last week, I was reading uh, with my granddaughter, Everly. She's three. Well, on the 14th, she'll be three. And I said, what book would you like to read? And she said, I want to read my princess books, Nana. I said, okay. So she pulls out three princess books. And one of the ones that we read was Cinderella. I'm sure most of you know Cinderella. Okay, for those of you that don't know Cinderella, I'm just going to kind of give you Nana's quick version. So Cinderella was an orphan. And she was unloved, and she was treated unfairly. Well, she was just really having a rough time. And the king was having a ball. Cinderella thought, isn't that amazing? We're going to go and have a chance to meet the prince. Okay, guys, I know this is not exciting to you, but stick with me. (laughs) Well, they all planned her sisters. You know, we call them the wicked stepsisters. I'm going to call them the selfish wicked stepsisters. And they were planning, and Cinderella was planning and wondering what she was going to wear to the ball. Of course, you know fairy tales are not smooth. We must have our problems. She couldn't go to the ball. She wasn't ready. So, Cinderella cried. She cried, and she cried. I have a picture of her crying, but I'm sure you can't see it. (laughs) So, (laughs) I think they're, they're struggling with my PowerPoint. So don't worry, I know this story. So you've all seen the Disney movie, and so she is, she's crying, and Fairy Godmother shows up. Now, I have to be honest with you, I'm wondering where the fairy godmother has been through all this time. However, she does show up on the night of the ball, and she magically changes Cinderella into the most beautiful princess you've ever seen. And she gives her a pumpkin coach. Let's see, guys. I told you there's a car in here. She gives her a coach, and she takes mice, and she makes horses, and they take her away to the ball. But before she goes, the princess says, The um, fairy godmother says, magic only lasts till midnight. When the clock strikes 12, it will all be gone. Uh, You know what, girls? They, she's got her hair, she's got her dress, her nails, her, oh, shoes, she has beautiful shoes, these glass slippers. And she is just all about the ball. Well, the prince sees her. And the prince only dances with her. And it's perfect until she hears the clock starting to strike 12. Well, we all know she runs away, and the prince is like, what did I say? Who can understand women? (laughs) Off she goes. He thought everything was going splendidly, but she takes off, and she runs, and just, 
Well, she trips and she, she loses a shoe and she just keeps running. And the, and the prince discovers the shoe and he's like, I must find her. Well, Cinderella, we know she has to leave because if she doesn't leave on time, he will discover she's a fraud. Well, you know, women do not like you to knock on their door or FaceTime them until the makeup is on. <laughs> Just saying. So Cinderella knew she had to rush out. So she does. The prince finds the slipper and he sends his ambassadors out into the whole kingdom to try the shoe on every young maiden in the kingdom. Well, it's really tiny. I don't know how this girl held her body up, but it's a really tiny slipper. Now, you know, the prince finally finds Cinderella. She fits the slipper, rags to riches. It's a happily ever after. I mean, come on, don't you love a good story? You know, but guys, I know, I know, you're waiting for the prince to go into battle with the swords or the explosions or some really good excitement. Okay, but I digress. Okay, so the question really is, does happily ever, ever really exist? Can you meet your handsome prince, your warrior princess? You're still waiting, right? I've got good news for you. Now, maybe some of you have already found your Prince Charming. Maybe some of you are living with that warrior princess. I know, I don't mean she's worrying with you. I'm, okay, we move on. In the book of 1 John, as a teacher, I like to know why things were written and who they were written to and what's the point of everything. In 1 John, the book was written in the latter half of the first century. And John writes as himself, and he says that he was an eyewitness to Jesus. This is really key, eyewitness. We also know that the scholars say that John wrote this book, this letter, because they were starting to have some conflicts. It had been about 35, maybe 40 years since Jesus had left. You know, day after day, the job gets boring. The message goes silent. We get complacent. We start hearing people talk, and they say something that's a little different. They, they put little doubts in your mind, and, and people are starting to leave the Christian church because of these conflicts. So John writes a letter and he says, I just want you to know I was there. I just want you to know I know it was happening and I want to set you straight. Let's start out with 1 John chapter, 4, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And we write this so that our joy can be made complete. Let's look at that again. I've highlighted some words. Look at the first-hand testimony. Look at the words that indicate, I know what I'm talking about. I was there. You can trust me, because what I'm going to tell you is important. So listen up. I heard it. We saw it. We touched it. We saw it. We testify. We were witnesses. We have fellowship. This is really important. John has something to say to the Christians. I want to talk to you about the love of a good dad. Again, shameless plug. My grandson, Yanni, at age five, loves to spend time with his dad. And when they play together, he just glows. And he watches his dad for all the cues. He just is, it's constant. Dad, dad, look at this. Dad, look at that. Dad, watch this. Watch when I do this. And you see that one with the turkey? He's watching his dad. Look at that. He's watching his dad. Everything his dad does is the best. Oh, except for Pastor Nick. Yesterday, his mom asked him who wrote the Bible. He said, Papa. <laughs> Amy challenged him, and he said, oh, God, God. But except for that, Pastor Nick. When a dad is invested in a kid's life, his son's life, there's a bond that just gives them the confidence, gives them the self-esteem, gives them the power to go out and do amazing things. And when you look at this picture of Yanni with his son, and of course, I had to put Yulia in there, but when you look at these pictures, you can see the love. You can see Yanni's not afraid of his dad. He wants to be with his dad. So let's look at John chapter 3 and see what John thinks. John chapter 3 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And the reason the world doesn't know us is that they don't know him. But dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we do know is that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Look at this verse. This is from the New International Version. There are two exclamation points. You don't see exclamation points very often in the Bible. This is where the exclamation marks are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. 
That is exciting. Think back on how Yanni loves to be with his dad. Let's look at the word lavished. I love this word, I have to tell you. Think about it. When you think lavish, think about being at an all-you-can-eat buffet <laughs> with no time limit. All your favorites, everything you love, just there, fresh, hot, cold, everything you love. Or ladies, you're in Tiffany's, and anything you want is yours. Guys, any video game, any TV, any car, any phone, any toy, it's yours, the bigger and the better. Lavished means it's an abundance. It's poured out. It's, it's excessive. It's overflowing. There's no restraints. See, the great love our Father has lavished on us. I think, I just think it's so amazing. But let's go back to that great love. God created a plan to reconnect us after what happened with Adam and Eve. It was a drastic plan. It was an epic plan. God, you, guys, you would love this movie. It involved demons and avengers and mighty angels with swords and, well, of course, that was all in the background. You couldn't see any of that stuff. But Jesus came. And Jesus came as a man so he could understand us, so we could see him, so we could know him, and he could understand what life was like. And the battle plan was that Jesus would come and die to take away the death penalty for our sins forever. The resurrection of Christ reunited humanity with God. Oh, what great love the Father has shown us. He sacrificed his son to cancel our sin debts. Let's take a few seconds just to think about that. John is saying in the NIV that God has poured out without restraint his great love on us, and then he took us into his family. William Barclay says, it is by the gift of God that a man becomes a child of God. By nature, a man is the creator, create, this, this bothered me, the creature of God by nature. But it is by grace that he becomes the child of God. Amen. So as John points out, we're not just merely called the children of God, we are the children of God. In the first century, in the Greco-Roman world, adoption was a very um, prominent practice. It was a legal practice. And what would happen is, if you were adopted, you would be adopted to help the family that you were being adopted into. 
You were adopted to increase the social status. You were adopted to increase the um, money, maybe the, the pockets of the family to keep the line going. In today's century, now, in our culture, we adopt children who have no parents, right? We rescue orphans. But then, the idea was to keep the line going. When you were adopted, if you were a free man or a slave, not necessarily a Roman citizen, once you were adopted, you automatically became a Roman citizen with all that that stood for. You couldn't be prosecuted, you couldn't be, you couldn't be tortured because you had Roman citizenship. It was a big deal. In this culture, Paul talked in Romans chapter eight that God adopted us. We weren't born of God. We're adopted into his family. And with that adoption come all the rights and privileges that adoption brings. It's legal, it's binding. We're chosen by God. So the first century, they knew exactly what it meant to be adopted into God's family. Adoption by God the Father goes beyond legalities. God didn't adopt us to keep his line going. Did he need us to keep his line going? No, he's God. He's no ending, no beginning. God adopted us because he wanted to bring us back into the intimate relationship that he had with Adam and Eve. You can sit on his lap. You can snuggle into him, and you can call him daddy. There are no access points that are barred to you when you live in the palace with the king. He's not asking you to bow down. He's not asking you to do something, to be something. He says, I want you in my family. When Cinderella married into the king's family, her only claim to the king was through his son, the prince. The prince chose Cinderella and he changed her life. And she went from the cleaning closet to the palace. Now think about this. Think about becoming a child of the king, being a prince, being a princess. Because that's exactly what we are, said John. We're not visitors. We're not guests. We're not servants. We're not even in-laws. We are the precious and chosen children of the king. And the prince went to extreme lengths to find us and to bring us into God's kingdom. And the great love that John speaks of being lavished on us, well, that's the very best part. We don't have to do anything great. I don't have to buy a mansion. I don't have to wear fancy clothes. Guys, think of this. No suits in heaven. Oh, you could wear a suit, Pastor Nick. Got to go with what you love, right? Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't, 
I don't, have to, I don't have to spend millions of dollars to buy this, and I don't have to sacrifice my firstborn son. And he's really glad about that. God wanted us in an intimate relationship. And he worked so hard to make this plan work. And he wants it just because he wants you in a relationship with him. All we need to do to live royally is choose him. That's it. We have the power to choose him. Now that's great love. Now to be honest, the abundance of love can be difficult to think through. I mean, I'm not always a nice person and I don't always do things the right way. So how could I possibly feel worthy to live in the palace with the king? Maybe it's just for the saints of God, like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. I could see them living there, can't you? How would I ever qualify for a bedroom in the palace? Paul understands the difficulty for us to understand how much God loves us. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, he writes that I pray that out of his, God's glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with the power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. God fills us with his spirit so we can understand his love. And that's the answer. When we accept God's love, Jesus' sacrifice, and the infilling of his Holy Spirit into our lives, it helps us understand how this great love works. And God loves us just as we are, imperfect and flawed. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, that's really incredible to grasp, isn't it? And it seems like it's okay with Dad. I mean, God. He knows us. He knows we're not perfect. He knows we're flawed. John said, when we see Christ as he is, we will become like him. Just seeing Christ makes us perfect. But you can still choose to join God's family, even if you're not perfect. Actually, that's the best part. You spend time with God the Father, and just like my grandson Yanni, you look to God. You watch him. You listen to him tell you stories. You read his word. You 
intentionally spend time with your father, and he makes you better. And when you start to understand how much he loves you, you can't help but want to be better. And our future is so great. Seriously, the palace now, heaven later, it's just really no words I can tell you to help you understand any better this great love. John chapter, 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Dear friends, we are now the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known to us. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. And all who have this hope in him will purify themselves just as he is pure. John isn't speculating about what the future holds for us. He isn't worried about next month. He isn't worried about our career options. He isn't worried about whether we retire now or we wait. He isn't worried about whether our children marry the right people or give us enough, enough grandchildren. Paul isn't worried about your future because he is confident that his loving father, our loving father, has only the best for us. So Paul, so John, at the beginning of this book, this letter, he knows that there are problems. He knows there are conflicts. He knows that there is division going on in these churches. And he says, I want to tell you, I was there. I heard. I saw. I touched. I know this is true. And I also want to tell you, I know God loves you so much. You can become part of his family, children of the king. The love of parents, well, it's essential for the growth of their children. Like my grandchildren, they watch their parents to see what's right, to see what's wrong, to modify their behavior. They don't question this love. I watch my grandchildren just turn and just get excited. Even the six-month-old babies, when mom or dad walks in, they start getting excited and jumping for joy because they recognize great love. And they want to spend time with their parents. This is my shameless plug, I have to tell you. So what about us? Does this great love change us? Are we intentionally spending time with God? Can you accept, can I accept the idea that despite my flaws and my faults, that he still loves me as much as my brother, Billy Graham? We seem to find it easier to believe the junk that the enemy tells us. You're not, you can't, you should, you didn't. She's better, he's better. But it's not about this. It's not God will love you when you, and it's not God will love you if you. It's God loves you. So just to quickly review, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. 
that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. We are loved so much by God that he sent Jesus to destroy the death penalty of sin. Through Jesus, we have the greatest gift ever, children of the King. Being adopted by God the Father is our choice. It's an invitation into an intimate and personal relationship with God the Father. God loved us first. His great love overlooks our sin and flaws. He wants to spend time with us, helping us to become the best we can be. God is patiently waiting for you to decide the next step. What is your decision? What about the happily ever after? It starts with a choice and a relationship with God. God loves you. God has lavished his love on you. And I ask that you will talk to God about your time, that you will ask him to open up the door of the palace and let you in. I've got some posters and some pictures I'm going to put in my bedroom. But most of all, the best part about living in the palace for me is going to be sitting with my dad.